Man, Easter Sunday, this is when we gather to celebrate the resurrection. In fact, uh, many people will call it Resurrection Day. And, and as I thought about what to share with you this morning, uh, my heart coming, kept coming back to this idea that, um, that the resurrection is something Jesus wanted us not to just memorialize as a, as a tradition, as a historical moment. It was the greatest moment in human history uh, even if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus or you don't believe in his divinity, you still have to objectively look at it and say that was the uh, event that changed the course of the world, that so much has changed from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I'm not here to celebrate history, right? If I want to celebrate history, we'll, we'll do that on the 4th of July and we'll celebrate independence, right? But, but the resurrection is not merely an event that happened. It is a reality that is happening for every one of us. And that is available to every one of us. And so how do we come today and not just celebrate what has happened? How do we come and not just celebrate a tribute to, to what took place? But how do we enter into what is taking place? Because Jesus says the greatest way that you can remember what I have done is to become a part of it. To participate into it. And, and as, uh, as you guys saw for weeks and weeks as we shoved those invites down your throats, right? I am the resurrection and the life is what Jesus said. What, is, what does that mean? And so we're going to wrestle with that a little bit this morning. And so what I want you to think about, and we'll come back to this later in the sermon, but I want to intro with this. This has to intersect with the biggest questions that we ask ourselves in life. If, if, we, if it doesn't, then it's just another thing. It's, right, it's like the presidential election of, uh, of whatever. I'm not good on my years, right? But, but when, uh, when, when Jimmy Carter was running against whoever he was running against, you probably had a horse in the race and you were really fired up about it, right? And you were really excited. But then that day came and went, and now it's just something that exists in, in past history. What happens with the resurrection has to impact our life. And so I want you to just take a few moments and think about these big questions. Do you have concrete answers to these questions? I'm keeping it light this morning, okay? I'm just keeping it light and airy. Why do I exist? What is my purpose in life? Why am I on this planet? What is, what is the purpose of me being, being here? What's going to happen when I die? Do you have a confident answer to that question? How do I know if I have lived a good life? Or for that matter, even, even a good day, when you lay your head on the pillow at the end of the day, how do you evaluate, man, that was a good day, or uh, that wasn't so good? By what measure do we, do we measure these things? What am I pursuing more than anything else? Right, that gets to the heart of a lot of us would say, hey, I have my life mission statement. This is my purpose. This is who I am. This is my being. But if you really objectively evaluate your week, what are you pursuing? What are you going after? What does your life communicate is the most important and valuable thing to you? And why do bad things happen to me? <laughs> What's the cause of bad things? Does it mean that I'm missing the mark? Does it mean I'm not doing life right when, when trouble comes along? when I experience uh, difficulty or persecution, when I experience illness, when I experience loss, broken relationship, why do those things happen? Do you have answers to those questions? Because what I would argue is that, that Jesus' resurrection provides concrete answers to all these questions. And as Christians, we should be living in light of that. And so there's, there's two pieces to this sermon today. One is if you aren't uh, a follower of Jesus, if you wouldn't profess a faith in him, I want to show you in a compelling way that Jesus provides purpose and meaning and hope and answers to these questions. 
If you are here and, and you're a follower of Jesus and you've come to celebrate today, I want to encourage you that Jesus loves the party, right? He loves us to celebrate him, but what he loves even more is a life that is, that is given to him sacrificially. He wants us to live our lives aligned with who he is, not just to celebrate him and have the bumper sticker and the Facebook post, but to have the life that reflects that, right? And so as, as, we, as we thought about this, um, it coordinates with this, this, this thing that I found really fascinating. We think about the, the amazing thing about Jesus is that he was, he was crucified on a cross, right? The cross is the symbol of the Christian faith. But yet, even in the, the crucifixion account, Jesus is not unique in being crucified on a cross. In fact, in the account, there's thieves that are also being crucified on crosses on either side of him. And so it's not merely the death on the cross that makes Jesus unique. And you might say, yeah, yeah, no, I get that, Ezra. It's, it's that they took him down and they put him in the grave and then three days later he rose. And, and that is incredible. And that's an incredible piece of what makes Jesus powerful. But the last miracle that Jesus did before entering into, into the, the triumphal entry and entering into Passover week was he, he rose Lazarus from the dead. <laughs> and so even in his resurrection, Jesus is not entirely and completely unique. And so it's not merely dying on a cross and it's not even merely raising from the dead that makes Jesus unique. It's something beyond that. And so I want to take a look at that this morning. And for, for hints about that, I actually want to turn to that passage in John chapter 11 where Jesus goes and, and, he, and he resurrects Lazarus from the grave. And so if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to John chapter 11 in verse uh, 17 is where we'll pick up. And so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna come here to, for some answers, and then we're going to go uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 just to, to hear a, a further explanation to kind of have some of the questions answered. So we come to John 11 to raise the questions, and we go to, to 2 Corinthians 5 to, to hear some answers, right? Uh, but join me in your Bible as, as we look at this, John chapter 11. Uh, just to set up the context for you, it tells us in the Bible that Jesus was really good friends with Lazarus. Him and, and his, he had two sisters, Mary and Martha. And you may remember at one point he went to their house and he was hanging out. And Mary was the one that went and sat at Jesus' feet. And Martha was the one that was busy because she was like, oh my goodness, Jesus and all his disciples and all these people are coming to my house. And I got to clean. And I don't even know if we have enough table settings. And somebody's got to go slaughter a goat because we got to have something to feed him, right? She's running around like crazy. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And in that instance, even though they both loved him deeply, Jesus said, hey, the way Mary's loving me in this moment is, is preferable. <laughs> this is better. She's, she's gathering me. She wants to know me. She doesn't just want to serve me. She wants to know me, and, and, and you should seek the same. right? But Jesus loved these guys. And, and so something amazing happens in Scripture. It tells us that Jesus loved Lazarus. He received word that Lazarus was sick and that it was probably going to kill him. And then Jesus waited a couple days before he went to see Lazarus. And so this is a sidebar, right? But, but if you're looking for something in your life, if you've been waiting for something, you've been praying for something, and, and God is not answering it in the timing or the way that you would want, I just want to encourage you that there is not a direct correlation between God not answering your prayer the way you want and God not caring about you. It said that he loved Lazarus, but he waited because he had something greater in store. And so I want to encourage you with that this morning, that maybe the timing, God's timing is always better, and so if it's not matching up with yours, it's not because he doesn't love you. I promise you that. It says in verse 17, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard 
that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Very typical for their personalities, right? Mary is mourning in the house. Martha gets up. Jesus is coming. I'm going to him. I'm not going to wait for him to get here, right? So she runs out on the road to meet him, right? She greets him in the street. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, this is, this is another fascinating moment, right? Martha goes running out to him, and she goes up in this great statement of faith and says, hey, Jesus, if you were here, you would have healed my brother. He wouldn't have died. But even now, I know whatever you ask God, he'll give it to you. And so it sounds like she's saying, like, uh, hey, Jesus, can you raise my brother from the dead? And Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to raise your brother from the dead. And listen to, to Martha's response. She says, she says oh, Martha said to him, yeah, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Do you guys ever do this? You pray to Jesus for something. You say, Jesus, I really need this. And he's like, yeah. And you're like, no, no, I know. I know you're busy. <laughs> I know. I know eventually, you know, I know you want to teach me patience, right? Uh, sometimes we, we're, Jesus wants to say yes to us, and we're not ready to receive it. <laughs> Martha was, was not prepared in this moment to get the good news that she wanted to hear. It's like my kids sometimes, they'll be like, hey, Dad, can we have Pop Rocks for dinner tonight? And I'll say, yeah, whatever, I don't care. It's Easter weekend, I'm exhausted. Yeah, eat Pop Rocks. And they're like, no, no, listen, Dad, because I got these. And I'm like, no, I already said yes, like, right? Like they're still arguing their case when the, the answer is yes. And we do this sometimes too. So if you're going to say a prayer and God answers it, the correct response is awesome. Thank you, Lord. Let's do this, Right? So Jesus has to correct her a little bit. She says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. That's what I want to look at here, this verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. What does that mean to say that Jesus is the resurrection and Jesus is the life? In your life, not, that, not just that Jesus can bring resurrection. He doesn't say, I have the power to resurrect and I have the power to give life, although he had those things. He said, no, I am the resurrection. That resurrection is so intertwined with me that there is no discernible difference between me and the resurrection. I am the resurrection. And, and the new life that you have after you're resurrected is me. I'm so intertwined with the new life that there is no distinction. There is no separation from it. And so I just want to point out a couple things to you out of this passage. The first is that he points out to Martha, the resurrection is not just future tense. It is available here and now if we are prepared to receive it. That new life is, is not just something that, yeah, I know one day I'll die and I'll go into the grave and then when Jesus calls me, I'll, I'll rise and I'll go up to him. That's the, that's the path to a, uh, a purposeless, drifting following of Jesus, right? That's, that's the sort of uh, mindset that leads us to say, like, okay, yeah, I said the prayer, I'm, I'm good, I'm sealed for resurrection, one day I'll go to be with Jesus, and, and that's just kind of, that's going to happen down the road. So I'm just going to, you know, as long as God lets me bounce around the earth here, I'll just use my time however, and I'll kind of, you know, do whatever. There's no direction, there's no meaning, there's no purpose. When we 
future when we ex focus exclusively on the future, right? So Jesus says, yes, there is a future resurrection, but the resurrection is present. And so then the other way that we mess it up is we're like, okay, the resurrection is present? That's awesome. Okay, so the resurrection impacts my life right now. Well, that must mean that, that my hopes and my dreams for my life, that Jesus died and resurrected so that my hopes and dreams can resurrect as well. Man, I always wanted to be a singer, and so I'm going to go try out for The Voice, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on TV, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a name for myself, and I'm going to become significant, right? Maybe that's God's calling on your life, but, but Jesus didn't die so that you could win The Voice, right? He didn't die so that, that Adam could hit his button and turn around and say, you're the most amazing singer I've ever seen, right? That's not why Jesus died, but we can hijack it sometimes, and we can say, hey, if you resurrected, then, then, then the hopes and dreams. No, Jesus said, I am the resurrection. So if your hopes and your dreams are intricately tied with who Jesus is, then yes, he died to resurrect those hopes and dreams. But if your dreams are, are all about, about your own personal goal, I have bad news for you today. He actually wants those to die. <laughs> he wants those hopes and dreams, those selfish, fleshly goals and desires, he wants you to nail those to the cross, to be finished with them completely, so you can begin to live the life that he wants to give to you. And so we want the resurrection to answer questions like, uh, how can I be viewed as important and special by other people? The resurrection says, hey, how can I be viewed as special and important by Jesus? Well, I'll tell you why, because Scripture tells us that he went to the cross in your place and he died for you. And then he rose again in power over your sin and your death and gave you freedom. That's where the importance and significance lasts. We want to say, I want someone, maybe a special someone, to love me. Jesus didn't die so that you can get that, uh, your, your fifth grade crush to fall in love with you, right? Jesus died to demonstrate that he does love you. And he proved it. You might say, hey, how, how do I bring glory to myself? How do I make a name for myself? How do I carve out my niche? How do I leave a legacy? And Jesus says, hey, I've already carved out my name. Glorify my name. My legacy is established and it is in you. Tie your hopes and your dreams to that. You might say, I don't want to experience pain or struggle or difficulty. Jesus says, hey, I experienced pain and struggle and difficulty, and if you're going to tie your life to mine, then the world is going to hate you the way that it hated me, but I have good news. It's temporary. It's not going to last long, and then you're going to go to be with me in eternity where there will be no more sickness or sorrow or pain or suffering. All that will go away, and it says that life is but a vapor, that the, the light and momentary struggles that we experience will be gone like that, and we'll spend eternity with Jesus. Jesus is the resurrection, and so if anything gets resurrected in our life, it has to be intricately tied to Jesus Christ. And the life that he gives us is also intricately tied to Jesus Christ. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, I just had a great discussion this week with, with Peter. He and I were talking about the Bible, and we were talking about the layout of the Bible, and, and uh, so we've got the Old Testament that, that basically is there demonstrating the need of a Savior, right? From, the, from, from Genesis all the way up through the, the minor prophets, it's man seeking to redeem himself and failing over and over and over again. And, and God provides kings, and he provides judges, and he provides prophets. And, and over and over again, we find a way uh, to let sin separate us from God. And so by the end of the Old Testament, we're like, man, we just need a Savior. We need a Savior that will last. We need a salvation that will stick. 
And then Jesus comes. And so we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the accounts of Jesus' life. And then we have the book of Acts that tells us what the church did in the early years right after Jesus rose from the grave. And then all the things that follow that are these letters that, that Paul and the other apostles wrote to the churches to say, hey, because Jesus is alive, here's how you should live your life. And in 2 Corinthians 5, he addresses this idea of what does it mean for Jesus to be our life. And so let's look at what it says in the beginning in verse 14. It says, and there's a lot in here. Let me warn you up front, okay? So we're going to break it down after we read it. It says, for the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow, right? <laughs> Deep breath. That's a lot. In there, But let me go through and let me show you how rich it is what Paul is telling us here. Uh, he's saying, hey, hey, in it, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. If Jesus died for me, it's as if I have truly died. It's as if I was drugged before the Sanhedrin. It's as if I was whipped. It's as if I, I carried my cross. It's as if I was nailed to that cross by my hands and feet and hung there until I suffocated to death. If I am united in death with Jesus, it's as if I have died. I live no more, which is exactly what it tells us in Ephesians. It says you were dead in your sins, right? The life that we once had is, 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 is gone if we, if we receive that Jesus died for us. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Christ is now our life. We don't live for ourselves any longer. Now, usually we talk about this in a negative context, right? We say, man, my job is my life right now, right? <laughs> what does that mean? It means, oh, my job is taking all my time. It's taking all my mental energy. It's identifying and defining who I am. And so we look at it from a negative context when it's our job because it's taking, but, but with Jesus, <laughs> it's the positive end of that. It says, man, Jesus has my heart, <laughs> He has all that I am. I, I, I think about him. I, I seek to serve him. He has my affections. He has my time. My agenda is set by my pursuit of Jesus. Is that true of you? If you profess to, to be a follower of Jesus, is that, is that the, the evidence of your life? Is that what it looks like? And I'm not talking about like, um, we know, like, the people that are like, and, and this is no criticism. If you're this person, that's all right, right? But it, it's not just the outward appearance. It's not the person who has the most Jesus thumbs-ups on their Facebook page, right? Or the most bumper stickers on their car or, or, or the person that wears the Jesus is my Savior sweatshirt to the mall, right? Like, if you want to do that, that's great. If he leads you in that direction. But um, it's, it's the evidence of our life that really demonstrates whether this is true, not just the outward appearance. 
When you meet somebody for the first time, are you, are you listening to that conversation being like, man, does this person know Jesus? And if not, how can I help them? How can, how can, I, how can I identify a need they have that Jesus fulfills, right? From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's Christ living in us, right? All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. This is huge, right? Jesus reconciled us with God. Our sin had separated us from him and reconciled me to be made right, right? If you have an, an argument with somebody, to be reconciled means you sit down, you hash it out, you hug it out, you love it out, and you leave as friends when you entered as enemies. And that's what Jesus has done for us. But it says something amazing. It says we are now the ambassadors of that reconciliation, that we are sent forward with that message, right? Imagine that there was this, uh, this uh, terminal disease that we all had. And imagine somebody approached me and said, hey, Ezra, I want you to know something. You don't realize it, but you're carrying a terminal disease within you. And I have the cure, and I want to give you that cure. Man, I'd be like, man, that's amazing. Yes, please. And, and what if they gave it to me, and then I came back in here the next week and never told you guys about it? <laughs> right? What if I didn't share the good news? That, that, and here's the reality. Sin is that terminal disease. It separates us. The wages of sin is death. When, death, when sin is full grown, it leads to death. And so for us as followers of Jesus, if we received the good news that there is a cure for the thing that has separated us from God and we don't desire to share it, it's just selfish. It doesn't mean you have to get a bullhorn and a placard and stand out here on 611, right? That's, that, that's probably not how God's calling you to do it. He wants you to do it in a way that people will actually receive it. But what does that look like in your life? That's the great challenge. This is the goal that we've been given. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making the appeal through us that, that ambassador speaks for the one they represent. I heard on the radio this week they were talking about uh, this guy just wrote a book on what it means to be the chief of staff in the White House. And when Barack Obama came into uh, the White House, he had Rahm Emanuel was his first one. And, and this was something that really impressed me. Uh, he invited back all the living uh, previous chief of staffs of the White House that had ever been. And so I forget how many, it was like 16, 20 living people who had had that job priorly. He, he invited them all back and he said, tell me what to do. <laughs> tell me how to do this job the best that I can. And the first one to speak up was one of Ronald Reagan, his first chief of staff. He said, when you open your mouth and speak, the words of the president are coming out of your mouth. Now, Rahm Emanuel is known to have like a sailor's mouth, right? And so the next words that came out of his mouth are not words I can repeat here on Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah, that one connected to every demographic down to the lowest one. That's awesome. <laughs> when we speak, we are representatives of Jesus Christ. What a heavy burden, but what a great privilege. What if, what if, what if Donald Trump came to you and said, hey, I want you to be the ambassador to a foreign nation, whether you like him or not, what an honor that would be to say, I want you to go and represent America. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. He's like, hey, not only have I saved you and I've resurrected you and I've given you life, but I've given you a goal. You are an ambassador for me now. And that's what we are called to do. What are we supposed to proclaim? Well, he gives us the message. 
He says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. It's just that simple. That's what our message is as an ambassador. How's that reconciliation possible? Because for our sake, he made Jesus, who, who, who knew no sin, to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The righteous one was made sin so that us sinners could be made righteous. That's our message as an ambassador. And so I want to return to the question that Jesus asked Martha. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And I would ask you this morning, do you believe that? And if you do, does the answer to all those questions, if we can throw those questions back up, do the answers to these questions flow out of what we just read here in these passages? What is my purpose? I'm an ambassador for Jesus Christ. My goal is to share with others the message of reconciliation. What happens when I die? I'm united with Jesus. Whether I'm alive or whether I'm dead, I am united with Jesus Christ. My new life has already begun. I'm not waiting until I die. The new life has begun for me now. What will make my life a good life? Have I been a good ambassador? Have I represented Jesus Christ well with every aspect of my being? Have I spoken the truth in love? Have I represented Jesus to those that he's placed me in contact with? What am I pursuing more than anything else? Am I seeking to see others receive the good news and the truth that I have received? Why do bad things happen to me? Because the world is wicked. It, it rejected Christ. And if I'm on mission as an ambassador for him, <laughs> hey, the ambassador uh, to, to North Korea has got a tough job, right? <laughs> the ambassador uh, uh, to Syria right now has probably got a pretty tough job. Right? The, 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 when we represent Jesus, we're taking a stand for something, and, and there's going to be times where the world rejects that. But we can take heart because Christ has overcome the world. How do you answer those questions this morning? I, I want to challenge you to, to ponder that today, this week. Jot those questions down. And I want to encourage you that the gospel provides really powerful, meaningful answers to all those questions. The biggest questions in life are answered by the gospel. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I encourage you, today is the day, and there's no better day than Easter Sunday to place your faith in Christ and to receive the new, the new life, to receive the resurrection. But I want to tell you this. It's not about you. It's about him. <laughs> to receive resurrection and to receive new life means that your life is now united with Jesus in such a way that they're indistinguishable from one another. It's not easy. But by the grace of God and by the empowering of his Holy Spirit, we grow and we grow and we see it and we want more and more of it. And that's my prayer for you on this Easter Sunday. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day to celebrate who Jesus is and what he has done and what you have done in raising him from the grave. But we thank you that the resurrection is not just a historical event. It's not just something that happened it's something that Jesus is. It's his identity. Jesus is the resurrection. He is the life. And he offers it freely to us. And we can receive that today. And I pray that for those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus, that this would be a reminder that we are not our own. We were bought with a price, a very heavy price. And we get the joy of serving you as an ambassador now, Lord. Send us your mission. <laughs> Give us our marching orders. Tell us what to do. As Ross challenged us last week, whatever you tell us to do, we will do. We are obedient to you. And Father, I pray that if there are any here who are 
at a place where they are ready to receive that free gift of salvation, that today that you would cement that in their heart, Lord. And, and I pray that you would do it through the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, as we close, if you could keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed just for a moment, I just want to offer, if you're here and you've never received Jesus as your Savior, I want to offer you the chance to do that today. And you do that simply by saying this prayer. And, and I want to invite, hey, on Easter Sunday, I want to invite everyone to vocalize this out loud together, okay? Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to live a perfect life and to die in my place. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for reconciling me to you. With joy, I receive your free gift of salvation. And I thank you for it in the name of Jesus.